You're listening to the Primary Medicine Podcast with Kevin and Dimitri, bringing you the best in primary care CME that you can use in your everyday practice. Welcome again to the Primary Medicine Podcast. I have Dr. Kevin with me today. I have to excuse my voice. Um, the hand foot mouth disease has ravaged my family. Just sort of recovering right now. Kevin, how are you? Uh, doing just fine. Grateful that we're not on uh, video chat. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I look, I look, do look pretty hideous. I have to admit, it's um, this this hand foot and mouth thing. I I wouldn't wish it on the worst of my enemies. It's uh, it's pretty horrible. I'm pretty miserable. But maybe we can go back to the case. And it's a real life case that happened to one of my very good friends. He had woken up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom to avoid. And what had happened is, as he was voiding, he had a syncope episode. It just dropped straight down, hit his nose on the sink, and then woke up with his wife in the bathroom freaking out because there was blood everywhere and there was a huge bump in, on the bridge of his nose. And uh, he was in a lot of pain. So he contacted me and asked me, well, what, what should I do? And uh, that's when I contacted Kevin uh, to, to see what the, the management would be of, of nasal fractures. Uh, so, Kevin, let me ask you this to begin with. How often do you see nasal fractures in the emergency department? Yeah, so we get nasal fractures quite often. The population I deal with tends to be quite young and athletic, um, so we don't deal with a lot of assault-related ones. We tend to see a lot more sports-related nasal fractures. And so they're quite common, and it's uh, good to be able to, to get comfortable managing them with some caveats. So let me know if you want me to go through or if you want to continue with your example. Well, I guess the initial question I is what is the initial management? Uh, what what should you do if you if you fall and likely break break your nose before you go to the emerge? Uh, what is it that you tell we would tell patients to do? Yeah, so the big one is just like managing the epistaxis associated with it. So when people roll into the emerge um, with a presumed nasal fracture, I do a couple things. You know, one I you know obviously we investigate why that person got injured, whether you know it's an assault or you know something dangerous like a syncopal episode, but. Um, when it comes to the actual facial injuries itself, it's very key to take a careful history on how much energy was applied to the face in terms of the force that actually broke the nose. Because if you're talking about something very high energy, then you should probably consider advanced imaging. Because a lot of nasal fractures are, are, are not CT scanned. I don't do uh, CT facial bones on all nasal fractures. Um, but I will do them if the mechanism is high, right? So... There's a big difference between getting punched in the nose and having a broken nose and getting hit with a baseball bat in the face and having a broken nose. So I tend to take a careful history around just what caused the fracture. Because if it's a high-risk mechanism, then I'm really not going down that road of reducing the nasal bones fracture until I know that there aren't concurrent other facial fractures. So when I'm fairly satisfied that I you know, don't need to be too worried about that, I move on to, you know, close um, physical examination. And I'm not going to go into all the details of trauma histories or the uh, physical exam in, in great, great detail, uh, simply because, you know, that's an awfully broad topic and I'm not really doing it justice in 20 minutes to be going over it really, really quickly. But the bottom line is, is pay a lot of attention in any trauma 
to the mechanism. So if it's a very high energy mechanism, uh, you need to be worried about concurrent other injuries, um, whether it's intracranial bleeding, orbital fractures, or a deeper fracture of the facial bones, say the axilla or zygomatic arch or anything like that. So paying very close attention to it. And then in terms of, uh, you know, the essentials of the physical examination is I tend to palpate I'm not the nose, I leave that for last, but I tend to palpate the whole face, neck, and then I do a cranial nerve exam to make sure that there are no obvious um, deficits to suggest a more serious uh, facial injury. Big ones that you're paying attention to are the patient's um, orbits as well as the mandible, the maxillary uh, regions in the uh, zygomatic arch. So if you're, you know, confident that you're not dealing with, you know, a bigger, more complex fracture, then you really don't need to go to CT uh, imaging. Uh, when it comes to plain films uh, for facial bones, uh, we simply don't do those uh, in the emergency department for the most part. They're uh, notoriously difficult for eMERGE physicians and for radiologists to interpret. And if you're that worried about facial bone fractures, then you need to use the proper test to get the proper answer, and that is a CT scan. But if, like I said, you're confident based on the history in your physical exam that you're dealing with an isolated nasal bones fracture, um, then you can go ahead and look to um, reduce it. And this is not anything that's really particularly fancy in the emergency department, and it is reasonable to consider being able to do this at clinic or urgent care center as long as you're prepared for sort of all the scenarios that accompany it, as well as being able to have enough time for this, because it's not something quick. It's uh, not quite like it is uh, on the movies or, you know, the football field where somebody breaks their nose and the coach goes and walks up and resets it and then kicks them back out on the field. Um, it's really about doing this properly. <laughs> so, so when I'm thinking about nasal bone fractures, you know, actually diagnosing them can be harder than we think um, without imaging. So it's great if patient walks in and says, I broke my nose and their nose is like clearly sitting to one side. It's trickier when they get hit in the face, there's a lot of swelling, there's epistaxis everywhere, and now you're really not sure. And they're going, I think I broke it, or I'm fairly certain I broke it. There may be some limited utility in acquiring a nasal bones uh, series or, or x-rays of the nasal bones, which is different than x-ray of the facial bones, um, to have a look and assess further. Um, but you can examine your patient to see, and thankfully in the world of uh, mindless selfies, everyone seems to have one from five minutes ago or five minutes prior to their injury. So um, you can get them to pull out their phone or get a family member and have a look at what they used to look like and see you know, if you can determine whether there's an acute nasal bones fracture there because it's probably less than ideal to try to reduce uh, an unbroken nose uh, <laughs> with a big metal instrument in their uh, very sore nose. So I try to avoid those scenarios. And so I'll take a cl very close look at the patient. I'll gently palpate along their, their nasal bones um, with my thumbs or my finger, you know, trying to rock things side to side. And, uh, you know, looking inside their nose, not only for um, very obvious, you know, septal deviation, but also a major injury in the nose that can't be missed. And that is a major injury that can't be missed. And that is a septal hematoma, which looks like kind of a big purple grape 
If you see that, the treatment's straightforward, and that is lance it with a large gauge needle, and then let the next physician that you're sending the patient to know about that so it can be um, monitored very closely. If it isn't done, they can get uh, septal necrosis, and they get what's called a saddle nose. One gentleman that I went to uh, undergrad with, he eventually became of an outstanding plastic surgeon, and he actually had a saddle nose from a, a nasal bones fracture from when he was a kid. But the bottom line is, is that you're paying very close attention um, for concurrent injuries when you're ever you're evaluating uh, nasal bone fractures. So if you made the determination that there's no other significant injuries associated with this, and uh, that the nose is d- indeed broken, um, you can reduce it. Now there is also the option of simply not doing that at all letting the swelling settle down and then having the patient follow up in uh, maybe four to six weeks for a referral to a plastic surgeon where it can be managed uh, definitively at that point because sometimes there's just a ton of swelling and it makes it difficult to assess. Also, you know, it, this is always, you know, it's it, it's a difficult thing because it's so cosmetically sensitive for so many patients. You know, so if you get a young person, you know, it's got a broken nose and uh, you know maybe their face was their money maker like Dimitri's you know with that charming smile and things and so they're very worried about that um, then you need to be uh, you need to be careful we're, one day we're going to put pictures up of ourselves on uh, primary medicine podcast uh, right Dimitri one day yeah. we'll go get 80 style clam shots exactly I should get mine done with before, that with all the, before I get my nose broken by a patient. I'm going to have uh, pastels and all that. Yeah, exactly. With pastels and, and, and frocks and flowery hair. So uh, It's coming, guys. It's coming. Yeah, we'll, we'll get we there. Promise. We'll get there. We're not very good at the internet machine. Yeah. So the bottom line is, is that um, there is the option of not doing anything too, too aggressive when a patient presents acutely. Um, some people tend to also, you know, say that they'll you know, um, only reduce nasal fractures if they're very, very fresh within, you know, an hour or two or a few hours, just because um, you can get a lot of later swelling that makes it difficult to, in fact, uh, reduce the nasal fractures. I tend not to be fussy like that. Um, I tend to be a little more assertive. So when it comes to actually reducing uh, nasal bone fractures, um, like all procedural work in emergency medicine um, or family medicine, I set up realistic expectations. So if you've got a giant laceration across your leg, you will you are guaranteed to have a scar, right? Um, so when you're talking to patients about you know nasal bone fractures, it's never about we are going to set you back to what you looked like before. There will always be some subtle difference, and the patient has to be prepared to accept that um, before you go down this route of uh, manipulating their nose to set it. So it's about setting up realistic expectations for patients and their families. Your nose is broken. It will never become unbroken. No matter who fixes it, it's going to stay a little different than what it was before. And then I really try to make them calm because it, it's really quite you know upsetting and it's bloody and it hurts. So I tend to try to make my patients as comfortable as possible. A very reasonable thing to do is Advil and Percocet just to uh, get the pain under control. And, you know, if you were in an urgent care center or clinic, you know, um, prescribing those and, you know, having the patient take something and wait there with you is not an unreasonable thing. 
and then you have to be able to find the time to do it. So like I mentioned earlier, it's not something you race through. Uh, so I will often make my patients comfortable with some form of analgesia and I'll come back at a quieter time in my shift to do it properly. And they tend to be appreciative of that because number one, it hurts. But number two, you know, you don't want to be like, okay, I got five minutes. Let's get this done. As you're saying it over your shoulders to the nurse. Um, so I tell them, listen, let me get the department a little bit quieter. Let me get my stuff under control. I'll come back. We'll deal with this and make it right. And so it's about setting up realistic expectations for your patients, getting them comfortable. And then to actually do the, the nasal reduction, you do a few things to freeze them. So I tend to be quite assertive when it comes to freezing. Uh, so I do infraorbital nerve blocks, which is kind of for those, you, I want everyone to Google this obviously, but it's just freezing up the cheeks on either side of the nasal bones because sometimes you don't always freeze the uh, inferior aspect of the nose. And that tends to be a really sore spot um, for levering. And we'll get to the levering part in a second. So I do infraorbital nerve blocks. And then I also do a nasal block, which again is why you really need to get your patients calm and comfortable. And again, I encourage everyone to just Google this on their own, but a nasal block is uh, where you basically stick a very sharp needle right past their eye, going down along either side of their nose. And that also really, really hurts. And I tend to go very slowly with that. But I get their whole nose and their kind of mid-face all frozen up. And then what I do inside of the nose is I pack it with lidocaine and epi. Like just like a you know bad epistaxis, you'll pack it with those cotton balls that are soaked in lidocaine and epi to get control of a lot of the bleeding and edema but also to freeze them up and make them comfortable. And if they've got a kind of a you know, longer you know, nose and it's a little hard to get back there, um, I'll just go ahead and spray them down too with a little bit of freezing in the back of their nasal pharynx as well. So the idea being that this whole thing is super, super numb, frozen, that the patient is calm, that they're comfortable. And then um, when that's the case, I take out all of those cotton balls get ready to set their nose it's it's, it's pretty it's pretty gruesome um, and this sounds pretty gruesome it, it, i mean i haven't seen one myself <laughs> yeah yeah and so the other thing you have to be prepared for as you're doing all of this patients vagal with this so be prepared for that sort of scenario they some some of them will go ash and gray actually this really cool patient she was an mma fighter and got her nose broken in some sparring uh, and she was tough tougher than I would ever have been but she actually bageled um, while I was doing that I mean you know it's you know, you, you know you you really stimulate that vagal response by digging around the back of people's noses and mouths like that so you have to be prepared for that sort of scenario and you have to also be prepared as you're you know doing anything in the nose that you're not going to cause a whole bunch of you know major bleeding or anything like that at all um, because uh, again you have to be prepared to deal with that you know God forbid, you know, um, you cause some significant trauma in a posterior epistaxis, which can be very serious. But again, I've never seen it because we tend to be quite cautious with it. So back to our scenario where we've got this patient, their face is frozen, their nose is packed with uh, lidocaine and epi. All right, you're going to take out all those cotton swabs and then you're going to have another look inside 
those cotton balls and you're gonna have a look inside their nose which should be a little bit clearer less blood less edema and again you're looking for any septal hematomas but then you're also looking for to get a sense of what the deviation is that you are in fact dealing with because remember a lot of time their face can be quite quite swollen and it can be a little bit difficult to assess exactly um, from the outside um, how broken their nose is so you've made the determination that you got to manipulate their nose. And then how you actually do it is you grab a scalpel handle. Do not, let me be clear on this, do not put the blade on the scalpel handle. You don't need a scalpel blade, just the scalpel handle. Because either you're going to hurt yourself or you're going to hurt your patient. And if you've got those plastic disposable scalpels, that probably won't do it. You, you, you likely need a big old-fashioned metal scalpel handle and I like it because it's got a very gentle the, the handle is what goes inside the nose inside each nair and that handle's got a nice gentle curvature to it and it's it's a relatively narrow thing and what you're really doing okay is it's it's not a levering action you're not levering on their nose with that scalpel handle it's like a forklift you insert it in one nair and you lift up and then with your other hand, so let's say I'm using my right hand in the patient's nose to insert the scalpel handle. My left hand is going to pincer, my, my left index finger and, and thumb are going to pincer along the nose and we're going to kind of move it together. And the idea is, again, not levering. You're not levering up. You're not levering side to side. You're not reefing on this. You're going to lift up you're going to lift up and you're going to set it straight because very often most nasal bone fractures are, are, are pushed inward and to the side, right? So you want to reverse that mechanism of injury. You want to lift up off their face and you want to um, move it all as a unit gently side to side. And then you want to do the next one, uh, the next snare similarly if, if needed. And I, I tend to do them both. And then I tend to go back and look inside the nose and, uh, you know, see whether I've straightened out the septum, um, see how it looks. And then it's useful if you've got a family member there with a strong stomach or a friend to look and give you a sense of whether you think their nose is kind of looking similar because, you know, maybe they had a little bump on the bridge of their nose. Maybe they didn't. Um, they can give you those subtle hints, but a really useful thing is to actually use the light of a seat of the ceiling. So I tend to have the room a little bit darker and I'll turn on like a, an exam lamp or something and bounce that light off the ceiling so that the light is reflected along the bridge of the nose. And that's actually my guide is that little beam of light that goes right along the, the front of their nose. And I'm looking to see that that's nice and straight. I try not to look at all the swelling and blood and laceration and tears, lost modeling dreams. I tend to look at that little strip of light that rests right on their nose. And again, I'll go back in there. I'll again, subtly manipulate the nose with the scalpel handle, not a lot of aggressive levering. It's just a gentle upward lift, not jerking motion. But if you have to apply some real force to move those fragments, then you know by all means do it. Um, but just do it carefully. And it is uncomfortable no matter what you do. 
and you have to prepare yourself as well as your patients for that. That freezing inside the nose, that ain't going to cut it that much. And then when you're generally satisfied about it, that's it. Watch for uh, any epistaxis. Um, watch for any resultant septal hematomas for, you know, a half hour, hour afterwards. But then they can get going and follow up with their family doctor. If you are the family doctor, have them follow up with you in a few weeks to see if they're happy with how their nose is looking. Uh, regarding splinting of noses, I tend not to do it. There's already a ton of swelling there. It, so that's already splinting it. But like you can't build a, a nasal brace that's going to hold in any meaningful way. And they already look like hell because they've got, you know, big, huge raccoon eyes, big swollen cheek. Maybe they got laceration. And then now you're going to build an apparatus on their face. So I don't. But I, I'm very clear with them, like, you can't go back and do MMA fighting for a few weeks if you're going to get struck in the face or football or whatever it was, or going to the bar and making people angry. You just can't go back to those usual activities until at least probably four to six weeks out so that these nasal bones can heal. And I, again, try to set up realistic expectations. So, you know, give it a week or two you know, maybe a little bit longer to really settle down so you can kind of get a sense of what your nose is really going to look like. Do you have any questions at all, Dimitri? I'm at the edge of my seat. This is horrifying. And it is. Uh, I'm imagining some family members might have sank the poor reaction themselves watching this happen. Um, but no, no questions. You've been pretty clear and great detail. All right. Yeah. So again, you know, it's a fairly invasive thing, but I, I mean, you know, I don't sedate for these um, because that's a big no-no. That's an airway slash blood thing in the face. And I really need my patient to be awake and protecting their airway and, and all their airway reflexes on board. But does it is pretty labor intensive and requires a, a lot of buy-in and trust with your patients, um, which is why, like I said, I set it up very well right from the beginning. Uh, any questions? Nothing at all? Right. And it, no, and it, it, that's probably the biggest point is if the patient is very much worried about cosmetic results, be a plastic surgeon. Yeah, that's that's exactly how I would play it because they, you get getting the sense that they've got unrealistic expectations, um, then you might want to just hold off on that um, because you really don't want there to be difficulties for you or for them. So, so I guess if I can summarize for 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 GPs, do is stop the bleeding, figure out the mechanism of trauma. So if it's a very high impact trauma, so you're talking about baseball, I'm imagining, you know, car crashes. Although they tend to go to emergency in that case, less um, less to you. Then you need to consider imaging, which is CT, so you need to emerge. I guess in the office you can you can do the initial exam and check for septal hematomas and maybe drain them. Septal hematomas are an emergency that need to be drained right away. So yeah. if somebody walks in with a bad you know nasal injury and all you do for them is stick a needle in their septal hematoma, you're saving them a big ugly bout of septal necrosis um, that figuring for them. And that's the takeaway for family docs here. Is that look for look out for those hematomas and the drain them in the office before you send them to emerge to do the rest. Or if you, if you have the guts and you reduce the fracture, or go ahead um, and uh, and do as, as Kevin explained in great detail. Hematomas are an emergency which um, everybody in in primary care needs to know how to deal with. So I appreciate your time, Kevin.
for talking today and uh, we'll talk again. This is wonderful. Cheers, everyone. Take care.